1: walking the path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing Buddhist chanting. I would like to invite you to learn Buddhist chanting to help improve and enhance your meditation practice because this Buddhist chanting that we do in the Buddhist tradition really helps to ease the mind into meditation and ease it back out of meditation so that you can get much more benefit out of your meditation practice. So if you're meditating currently and you haven't been exposed to chanting, this is a great opportunity for you to do that. Or if you have been chanting, this is an opportunity for you to learn the Buddhist chanting done in the Pali tradition. Pali is the original source language of Gautama Buddhist teachings. All of his teachings trace back to the Pali canon as the original source as close to the lifetime of the Buddha as we can make it. Essentially, this Pali canon that dates back about a thousand years ago or so allows us to dig into the teachings that were captured after the Buddha's death in order to share the path to enlightenment with everyone else. So anybody who's interested in learning and practicing teachings to awaken the mind to this enlightened mental state, where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, would need to understand Gautama Buddha's teachings and have some connection back to this source of Pali Canon or this Pali language. You don't actually need to learn Pali itself because nowadays there's been people who've done excellent jobs at translating the teachings from Pali into languages that we currently know local languages like English or Thai or other languages because the language of Pali is no longer a spoken language today, but in terms of giving reverence or appreciation and gratitude to the teachings, we still chant in the Pali language within the Theravada tradition. Theravada means teachings of the elders, and this tradition of teachings agrees that we should keep the teachings in as pure of a form as possible, those teachings that were learned and shared by members of the community during the lifetime of the Buddha. So people were learning and practicing the teachings of the Buddha in whatever local language that he actually shared his teachings in, but then eventually the teachings got put into Pali, which we consider to be this source text or the source of his original teachings. Everything that you would need in order to attain enlightenment is not contained in the Pali Canon. A large majority of the teachings are there. That is the largest, most complete collection of the teachings that we have in existence today. However, because of 2,500 years of impermanence, there's things that didn't get moved all the way forward from the time that the Buddha actually spoke until where we are today. So it's really important that you have a teacher in order to receive guidance. You seeking out guidance and asking for help on this journey and on this path is part of what it takes for any practitioner to awaken the mind to enlightenment. There's plenty of people in the world who are learning and practicing meditation. Some people even choose to do that through courses or retreats or different classes and there's even some people who choose to do that on the internet with things like youtube and things like this or even just reading books however i would encourage anyone who's listening to this now to seek out guidance with a teacher whether it's me or some other teacher it's really helpful to have a personal relationship with a teacher who you can seek guidance through the resources that they provide you and help you to learn not only meditation, but the entire path to enlightenment. Because if you're only meditating and that's all you ever do, you wouldn't actually be able to attain enlightenment where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. There's an entire path to enlightenment and meditation is just one component of that path. Now it's a significant component, but it's just one component. But in terms of all the various teachings, it only makes up about 12 or 15% of the actual teachings themselves. There's a whole lot of other teachings that you would need. But because meditation is so important to training the mind and moving the mind in this direction of enlightenment, we use Buddhist chanting as a way to help us move the mind towards meditation and kind of ease the mind into meditation. So I would like to share something with you to help you further understand the benefits of chanting. This is something that I shared about six weeks ago, but some of you who may be listening to this and tuning in might not have participated in that class. So I would like to be sure that I share those with you today. Essentially what the Buddha talked about when he discussed preparing for meditation is he said that we should set up mindfulness in front of us. Mindfulness is awareness of mind. In order to meditate, you need to have awareness of mind. And part of what you're doing in meditation is cultivating this awareness of mind. A lot of times we use this word in modern language to mean careful. Someone will say, you know, mindfully take something out of the refrigerator or mindfully wash the dishes. This is kind of used as a way of saying carefully, But this isn't how Gautama Buddha used this word. The way he used the word mindfulness is he used it to mean awareness of mind. Because in order to train the mind on this path to enlightenment, you need to have awareness of the thoughts, ideas, and feelings, and what's going on in the mind so that you can actively train it in meditation, but also outside of meditation. Because as I mentioned, there's an entire path. There's things you need to be doing outside of meditation in order to actually train the mind to enlightenment. So as part of the Buddhist teachings, he's always recommending mindfulness. Mindfulness is always important. It's always useful. We need to cultivate this during meditation, but in order to cultivate it in meditation, it's important to kind of move into meditation and ease into meditation with awareness of mind. So chanting kind of helps you to start gathering the mind, become aware of the mind as you start chanting before you ease down into meditation. It also helps to build concentration or memory because as part of this path to enlightenment, the mind will become more focused, more clear, more concentrated. You'll develop deeper memory. And by practicing chanting and using that as a way to cultivate those qualities of mind, then you'll be able to use them more readily in your daily life. So if you never exercise the mind and try to build this awareness of mind, build this concentration and build this memory, if you never exercise that with something like learning and practicing chanting, then it won't be available for you for things like business or personal relationships or things that you do in your everyday life. So your practice needs to encompass all the various aspects of the path so that you kind of hone the mind and you bring it to perform more optimally. Enchanting is one of the things that helps develop that awareness of mind, concentration, and memory. Another thing that you need during meditation is awareness of breath because the breath is the present moment. And by having awareness of the breath in meditation, you can focus the mind on the breath, cutting off and letting go of the thoughts so that you can bring the mind into the present moment. So rather than the mind drifting to the past or into the future, or all these various thoughts, ideas and perceptions, during breathing mindfulness meditation, you're focused on the breath and only the breath training the mind to let go of the thoughts, ideas, perceptions, and focus only on the present moment. And the more that you train the mind this way, the more you will be able to control the mind. So having awareness of breath entering into meditation will just kind of ease you into that experience much better so that you get that much more benefit out of the meditation session itself. The chanting also helps to kind of slow the mind down and it relaxes the mind. Because when you're learning these chants, the tendency might be when you first start to just kind of rush through them, or the tendency might be when it's time to meditate is just to plop down and do some meditation. But if you have this activity of chanting, you can just kind of slowly, gradually work on these chants to kind of slow the mind down before it enters into meditation and you'll get that much more benefit out of your meditation sessions because you've had this kind of buffer between kind of daily life into meditation instead of making a a real quick jolt into meditation and just plopping down and doing meditation, the chanting kind of helps to slow the activity of the mind, it relaxes it and eases it into meditation. Another thing that can often happen when you're first learning these teachings and particularly meditation is the mind can be so cluttered and so overactive that it's difficult for you to see any progress in your actual meditation practice or even in your daily practice when you're out and about doing things with the average people you might see that your mind still becomes angry and frustrated and irritated And you might get even more irritated because you feel like this practice that you've been doing for two months or six months isn't really helping you as much as you want it to help you so if you're sitting down and you're noticing that the mind's fairly cluttered or you're having difficulty observing the improvements in your practice chanting is a way to give you kind of an audible indication that your practice is improving because if you're just meditating and focusing on the breath The changes in the mind are just gradual, and sometimes it's very difficult to see from one week to the next or one month to the next or one year to the next that the mind is gradually improving because it happens so gradually, you might not actually observe the progress. So with chanting, you can hear the sound of the chant and you get this audible indication of the improvements of your practice. And you'll see that your memory is improving as you get better and better at using the chants and reciting the chants. So this is a great way to kind of motivate and encourage you to help you see that you are making progress in your practice because it's giving you something to focus on and something to actually do. Because of this aspect of the Pali language tracing back to the elders of the Buddhist community, Chanting in Pali is a great way to show respect and gratitude to all the people before us that have passed the teachings down from the time of the Buddha all the way to us. One of the aspects of this past that's oftentimes overlooked is politeness, friendliness, gratitude, kindness, appreciation, and respect, and cultivating that towards all beings in the world so here with chanting one of the things that you can be thinking about as you're chanting and as you're learning these chants as you're putting time effort and energy dedicating time to learn these chants you can think about it as gratitude and respect for all this chain of people over 2500 years that have passed down the teachings because there is no centralized organization that is set up to collect distribute all of these teachings throughout the world so the only reason why we have access to these teachings is this long line of people that have learned the buddhist teachings experienced benefits and results from his teachings and through their time effort energy and resources they've put together the effort in order to share these teachings from person to person to person or from book to book to book to book. And people just did this out of generosity. There isn't any one person who's organizing all the sharing of this throughout the world. So there's this respect and gratitude that you can kind of build into your practice through learning and practicing these chants for the elders, the people in the past. As you learn chanting, it's important that you understand that there is no magical or mystical benefits associated with the chanting. There's places that will do chanting and mantras, and some people in the Buddhist world will even tell you that they're praying. But these aren't the teachings of the actual Buddha. The Buddha himself never taught that these types of things lead to enlightenment. So, If you are currently chanting and you think that it's going to help extend your life or you think it's going to help you erase unwholesome karma or you think that it's going to help your dead relatives or you think it's going to somehow instantly create enlightenment for you, these things aren't what the actual Buddha taught. So there is no magical or mystical benefits associated with chanting. Where you're gonna get the benefits of chanting are the things that I talked about, which is part of this path. Learning respect, gratitude, appreciation, politeness for the elders, improving and motivating your practice through seeing the improvements of your chanting, kind of slowing the mind down, relaxing it, easing it into meditation, becoming aware of the breath so that you can root the mind into the present moment, helping the mind build this awareness of mind, this concentration and this memory, so you can set up mindfulness in front of you, which all of this together is gonna help you get more benefit out of the meditation itself. Because the goal is, is to train the mind. The goal isn't to learn all these special mystical chants that if we recite them exactly the right way, well, boom, something magical is gonna happen. That's not what the Buddha actually taught. He taught about cultivating the mind, training the mind through eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and cultivating wholesome qualities in the mind. And meditation is just one way that we do that. So if you would like to learn chanting about how to ease the mind down into meditation and then get a lot of benefit out of your meditation, and then ease the mind back out of meditation. Chanting is one of the ways for you to do that, and you'll be cultivating these other aspects of the path along the way. So I've got three chants that I'm going to share with you guys today, but before I do that, I would just like to pause and see if we have any questions on any of these benefits. As I mentioned, about six weeks ago, I went through these in a lot more detail. I just felt like it was important to kind of review them for anyone who might be joining us for the first time today, and you're interested in learning chanting. You can see some of the benefits of chanting, and then you can also understand what chanting isn't. Chanting isn't magical, mystical benefits. It's not prayer. It's not trying to create something special through our words in the outside world. It's about using the chanting to cultivate our mind and train our mind inwardly because that's what this whole path is about, is looking inward and training the mind inwardly, not changing something in the outside world. So let me just pause here and see what questions, if any, that we might have.
2: Hi, David. I have a question about this last point, that there are no magical, mystical benefits associated with chanting. Why is it, you think, that such a belief could ever come about? Why would someone come to think that there might be some kind of magic associated with chanting or any other kind of
1: ritual these are things that get passed down over many 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 years through impermanence and let's just say i happen to be chanting in my room and i'm chanting and my wife walks in and says we don't play the lottery but just say she walks in and say we won the lottery right well that person who's chanting could believe that because of their chanting that's why they won the lottery Or say you're chanting and your wife walks in and says, you just got a phone call, that new job that you were interested in getting, you got that new job. And that person might inappropriately or mistakenly relate that experience to the chanting itself. When in reality, the reason why that person got the good job is because it starts all the way back in their childhood when they learned how to read and write and they learned how to respect their teachers and they went to school and they went and got a job when they were young and they were learned a good work ethic and they showed up to work and they got good performance reviews from all their different bosses. They went in and they did a really good job interview. They treated everybody kindly and politely, right? This cause and effect, cause and effect, action and result, this natural law of gamma, essentially the results of your decisions is what led to that good event but oftentimes people will falsely or mistakenly associate this chanting to some particular event because they don't understand the natural law of gamma and how cause and effect or action and result truly works. And then it only takes you know, a few of those people to have those experiences to now pass it down from person to person to person and belief kicks in. Now belief kicks in and now where it started with one person, now there's a hundred people that believe that this chant is going to create some beneficial outcome. And then those a hundred people teach it to 10 more people individually. And now you've got a thousand people, right? And over the course of many, many thousands of years, you get people that believe that these type of things are actually going to improve their life. And there's people in the world that don't actually study very much teachings of the Buddha at all. And all they ever actually do is chant. And they just chant and chant and chant and chant and chant. And they think if they just chant exactly correct with the right tone and the right pronunciation that they're going to instantly attain enlightenment. And this is belief. And this is why the Buddha taught us not to believe these type of things, that we need to look at the truth and see the wisdom in it And if chanting and prayer and these kind of things is what actually creates change in the world, then we should be able to test it because everything in the Buddhist teachings are independently verifiable. So if praying or chanting is going to create something beneficial, then I should be able to do that right now and that beneficial thing will occur for me, right? But if I do that chant and I do that prayer and that beneficial thing doesn't happen, then you've essentially debunked this belief and you can see the truth that, yeah, this chant and this prayer doesn't lead to anything immediately beneficial. What people need to get in touch with is this natural law of karma of cause and effect and see this gradual building of how by making individual decisions in the present moment, it leads to better and better results. And that's why making the decision to join a class like this, it's a good decision that's going to lead to beneficial results. Deciding to learn how to chant and cultivate the mind with these benefits that I'm sharing here, that decision or that action is going to lead to good beneficial results because you're going to have more awareness of mind, better concentration, better memory, awareness of breath. You're going to ease the mind into meditation. You're going to get more improvement in your meditation you're going to cultivate this respect and gratitude for the elders all these type of benefits is what's actually going to propel your practice forward but this mystical magical part is just something that's kind of been handed down over the years that some people have trouble seeing through because they just don't understand the natural law of gamma well enough
2: right so essentially we're sort of misappropriating causes and consequences here it may be that a chant was done and there was some wholesome or pleasant experience that happened. But the mind has inappropriately attributed that effect to, oh, I was chanting at that time, and that's why I got the job, or that's why uh, I won the lottery. And so, you know, as humans, we have this unique ability that animals don't have, right, which is to understand causes and consequences. But we don't understand them enough that unless we're enlightened, that we can truly see all of them and truly know what actually led to what. So it seems like this, this quirk that humans have where we misappropriate these things and misassociate and that's really, in some sense, what the path is all about is, a, as you would say, awakening to the natural law of karma, coming to see true causes of things and, and therefore making the, the real actions that can deliver a, a wholesome result.
1: Right. And this would be part of wrong view, right? If you're starting out this path, this eightfold path, the first step is right view. Without right view, which is understanding the Four Noble Truths, understanding that we cause the discontentedness, we can eliminate it, and so forth and so on that I've talked about in other discourses, if you really truly believe that this chant has this mystical, magical power, Or if you really truly believe that this prayer that you're doing is going to instantly create some beneficial result, then you still haven't firmly established right view in the mind, which means you're not going to be able to attain enlightenment as long as this wrong view is being held in the mind. Consequently, in addition to that, if the mind still has that fetter of wrong observances and wrong behaviors which is rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship, you need to eliminate that even just to get to the first stage of enlightenment. So if somebody still is holding on to the belief that these chants or this prayer or this mantra or these special beads that I hold in my hand while I'm meditating have some mystical, magical power, then the mind is still wrapped around belief and it's not yet seeing true reality which is part of that third poison of delusion or ignorance or unknowing of true reality. So there's just all kinds of challenges that happen in someone's practice if they continue to hold on to the belief or they develop the belief that there's some mystical, magical powers here. You erode your right view, so you don't have right view. You still have that fetter of wrong observances, wrong behaviors, which associates to rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship. And those two things basically culminate into that third poison of delusion, ignorance, or unknowing of true reality that the Buddha was talking about, that through that unknowing of true reality, that's what's keeping the mind in the unenlightened state. And as long as somebody holds on to that, then they are going to continue to experience the unenlightened mind And that's why whenever I talk about things like chanting or meditation, I always talk about what it is, but then I always talk about what it isn't. Because that's just as important as talking about what it is. Because in the world today, we have so many different perspectives on what meditation is and what it isn't. Or we have a lot of different perspectives of what chanting or mantras or prayers are all about. So from my experience, I'm sharing what chanting and meditation is but i also like to share what it isn't as well got it well thank you david we have no more questions at the moment yeah sure so let's move on to the next part of what we're going to do which is actually learning the chants themselves so the first chant that i'll share with you is called the triple gem the triple gem is a very common chant that we learn here in thailand and throughout the theravada tradition as a way of paying respect and gratitude to what we call the triple gem or the triple jewel. The triple gem or triple jewel relates to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Or in English, we're talking about the fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha, the master teacher, Gautama Buddha, who self-awakened to the enlightened mental state, shared his teachings throughout the course of his life, Lots of people attain enlightenment during his lifetime, and then lots of people attain enlightenment after his life. So this chant is as a way of respect and gratitude towards him. And then the second one is the Dhamma or the teachings of the Buddha, paying respect and gratitude to the teachings that he actually explained. And then the third one is to the Sangha or the community because it's the whole entire community, the ordained bhikkhus and bikinis, household practitioners, the, the teachers within the household lifestyle. All of these people are essentially coming together as a community to support each other and encourage each other along this path. So whether you're ordained as a male, a female, or you're a household practitioner as a male or female, or if you don't identify with any particular gender, all these members of the community were all here to support and encourage each other along this path. So, we take a moment to kind of acknowledge and show respect and gratitude to that community through chanting the third verse of this chant. It's important to understand that the Buddha didn't create these chants and institute them in order to pay respect to him. From everything that I understand, this particular chant came after his death as a way of us showing respect to him. He never created any particular aspect of his teachings that was, thou shalt bow down to me and worship me and honor and pay homage to me, because that would be ego, right? And a Buddha in an enlightened being doesn't have ego as part of attaining enlightenment. So he never taught people to worship him or praise him or do any particular things that honor him as a individual what he was interested in is sharing the teachings that lead to liberation to help people actually attain this enlightened mental state so this chant here is something that we do in as a way of showing our gratitude and respect to kind of like grandpa right or great 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 great, great, great grandpa right so This first chant, the way it goes, I will do it once and then together as a group, then we can do it. So here we go. This is the way it would sound, and then we'll do it together as a group and then at the end here i usually will raise my hands up to the forehead if you're in a temple environment oftentimes people will bow to the floor in thai we call this a clop or in english we might call it a prostration where we're just showing respect to the buddha the second phrase Sawaka To Namasami. Once again, hands up to the forehead, or if you're on the floor, you might decide to bow.
3: Supatipano Mahakawto.
1: And once again, a bow or a prostration. So these three phrases are the Pali language speaking and essentially providing this respect and gratitude for the Buddha, his teachings, and all of the community. The English translations here are the perfectly enlightened one is worthy and rightly self-awakened. So that's one of the criteria of attaining enlightenment as a Buddha and being considered a Buddha is being self-awakened. I bow down before the awakened, perfectly enlightened one. The second phrase is the Dhamma, that's his teachings, is well expounded by the perfectly enlightened one. I pay respect to the Dhamma. I pay respect to his teachings. The Sangha of the perfectly enlightened one's disciples has practiced well, right? They're learning and practicing the teachings. It's obvious that these people in his community are practicing the teachings very well. I pay respect to the Sangha and respect is a very important thing as part of this path we're often taught in western culture that someone needs to earn our respect but if we do that then that means we have to judge somebody first to decide if we're going to respect them or not where what this path is all about what an enlightened being is going to do is they're going to respect everybody without judgment There's no need to judge others if they've earned our respect because if we hold back our respect we're holding on to something right there's this craving desire attachment we need to let it go and just be respectful because it's the right thing to do and what you'll notice is the more respectful you are to others the more respectful people will be to you whereas if you're judging people and you're only respecting people once they earn your respect That's what people are going to do to you as well. So it's best to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all people all the time, regardless of anything. Even if someone's yelling and hollering at you and being angry with you, you don't benefit by being disrespectful to that person. So always polite kind, friendly, and respectfulness in all situations. So this chant is a way, if you understand the English behind it, this is a way for you to bring those qualities of mind forward in the chant. The letters that I'm using here are English characters because the Pali language itself wasn't really a scripted language originally. This is one of the reasons why Whatever language the Buddha spoke in, either Pali or most likely a language prior to Pali, it wasn't actually written down. His teachings weren't written down during his lifetime because there was no script associated with the oral language. So what we're doing in modern times is we're using a script that we understand, which is English, to represent the sounds of the Pali language. So you will see these same chants being chanted in the Thai culture, for example, written out with Thai script. And you can go to Sri Lanka or India or Cambodia or Laos. All of these different places around the world, they will use their localized script in order to represent the Pali oral language. And since I teach in English, I'm using the English script here in order to represent these Pali sounds. So what I would like to do is invite you now whether you're on Facebook or YouTube or in our Zoom classroom to chant this together with me. I'm going to go through it three times and we'll chant it together as a class. Max, you might have to turn on your mute so we don't get some feedback here. I know your chanting is beautiful, but (laughs) (laughs) we we might get a, a lag in connection here. But let's go through this three times. And then when we're done, if there's anyone that would like to do this personally, and just at one-on-one in our Zoom classroom, then you can just do it one-on-one and then get some individual feedback. But let's do this three times together as a group. So maybe just bring your hands together, your palms facing together at your sternum, and then just take a nice, subtle, deep breath. Inhale through the mouth, nice and slow, and now chant.
3: Hang some sāvakā to DAMANG tammo dāmaṃ namasāmi Waka sung ho This is our
1: second time
3: through. Araham hang O Tang Makavan Hang Api Vati Amin Savakha Tom Hakavata su Hakawato ti pa no maha ka sa our third time Arahang samasam hotam hakawa. Hotam hakawa nang amī Sawaka, what a
1: Okay, so that's our triple gem or triple jewel. This is a common chant that people will learn at the very beginning of their practice. So I would like to invite anybody who is in our Zoom classroom or anyone who's watching this other location right now if you would like to come into the zoom classroom you can receive some personal guidance if you like is there anybody that would like to do that we have James okay this is James from South Carolina
4: Utang pa ka walang abiwate wa mi damo namasami super tip Ano
1: sa sanghang Nice. Very good tone, James. Very good. Sounding really, really nice. I can hear the roundness in your voice and the depth really kind of drawing it out of the lungs and really moving it through. That's wonderful one thing that i would suggest for you is to get kind of like a pacing i talked about a metronome before there's almost like a like a tempo to this so it's like if you have a metronome that's like <laughs>
3: Right?
1: There's kind of like each syllable is just kind of like hitting down on the metronome. So, kind of bring a little bit more of that into it, but you're really resonating really nicely through the lungs and out through the voice. A lot more confidence there, a nice roundness to the tone of your chanting. So, that's wonderful really, really good. Just getting the kind of tempo down is, I think will really help you because some syllables you're holding for longer and some of them are for shorter. And there's some of that in there, but there's still kind of like a certain pacing to it. So let's do this together, James, just you and I, okay? Let's see if we can get our tempo down.
3: Ārākhaṁ dāmāṅ nāma-saṁ dhi pa hear that?
1: Kind of like moving through a little bit more. You yeah. want you want to try it again? See if you can get that down a little bit better.
4: Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> Sawakato, Pakawata Damo, Dhamma namasami, Super Pakawato, Sawaka
1: nice wonderful james much better still a few little hesitations here and there but you'll even that out now while you practice over the next three weeks just focus on what you just did what you just did was really nice just continuing to make that more and more succinct as you chant that was remarkably better And this has only been in like six months or eight months that you've been practicing this. So that's wonderful, James. Very nice. Yeah, Like
5: you said, it's a great way to see your practice and your practice.
1: Yeah, you've got such a great tone there, like that roundness and that fullness of your voice. You usually only get that or most people in the shower, you know, when you've got all the acoustics around you, but you've got a really nice resonating tone there which will really help to ease the mind into meditation. And I know you have expressed interest in teaching someday and that will benefit your students too when you're kind of leading students in meditation. You'll be able to chant this over each meditation session and your students will really appreciate hearing this to kind of ease them into meditation. So that's beautiful, really beautiful sound there, James.
2: Thank you for your assistance.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Keep practicing.
2: Yeah, nice, James. Thank you very much for sharing and stepping up. So if there's anyone else who'd like to try the triple Gem, by all means, raise your hands. No pressure either way. Um, don't have to. We've got some easier chance coming next. So that's an alternative if you're new to chanting.
1: Okay, let's move on to the next one then, Max. Because you got feedback last time. I think you're probably feeling pretty good, right? <laughs> well i am but not just because of good feedback <laughs> would you would you like would you like to would you like to do this arahan and get some more feedback sure why not yeah okay yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's see
6: career, so let's try it okay okay <laughs> Pōtang pākawanta ngāpi wā teheami Sawakato am pākawata ha tambo Tāmāng Subatipano vaka wato Sahaka Saanko Sankanama
1: Nice Max. Really let it let it go. Really let it go. I don't know if you are or not, because I'm not there, I can't observe your chest. But if we were together, I could see. It sounds like you might be holding back just a little bit. You might have a little bit more there that you can really push through. So, right, like really draw the air out. I can't tell if it's just the quality of your voice or if you're really holding back the air because I can't see your body but see if you can just kind of let the air out more just kind of really roll it out
2: okay all right try this yeah
1: see how it
6: goes Bor Tang Paka Wantang, happy what air me? Sawaka Tom Paka Dama Namasa
1: that was better max i i feel like uh before you might have been a little apprehensive and holding back a little bit but there's just this slight improvement when you just kind of let it go and you just let it ride Mm. And it wasn't it wasn't significant in terms of what I was hearing, but by just letting it go and being more relaxed into it and not holding back and being apprehensive, it's going to translate to the mind that the mind is not going to hold on so tightly. So before, I think you were a little bit holding back, a little bit apprehensive, where this time you just kind of let it out a little bit more. And it was noticeable slightly in the in the sound that you were just letting it go a little bit more.
2: Yeah, nice. Yeah, thank you for that. I'll listen back at some point and maybe I hear a difference. But yeah, I certainly changed my approach in the second round. I think it was a bit louder. I don't know if that came through on Zoom, but I, I certainly felt a difference. So yeah, keep that keep that going.
1: Yeah, these internal changes of of just letting go, and this is where chanting can translate into your meditation practice and your daily practice is if we're really uptight and we're shy and we don't want to do this chanting all of this other stuff that's going to be mental qualities that we experience in daily life whereas if we just kind of relax into it we're not shy we're not apprehensive then we'll have a tendency to practice that way in daily life as well so this is how chanting benefits us uh, rather than this mystical magical thing that we were talking about yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Let's go to the next chant. Then, this one is a super easy one, I think, in terms of learning the chants. Oftentimes, people will start with this one. This is what I started with. I noticed that Thai children, pretty much from the time that they first start being able to talk and mouth, they learned this one. So, way, way, way back, I started teaching this one to myself as a way of learning this first, because I considered myself kind of a baby. So if you would like to just start with one and maybe not take off such a big bite, you could just start with this one before and after each one of your meditation sessions. Or if you'd like to do the whole thing, you can do the whole thing. And by the way, these chants are in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. It's in chapter 11, you'll see these chants. Or if you're in the Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, I have a one sheet chanting guide in the files section of that group. So in the Facebook group, if you click on the menu files, you'll see the one page that you can print out. And it'll have these chants on a front and a back. And you'll be able to use that for yourself. And here in Chiang Mai, for the students that I teach, I actually printed it front and back and then I laminate it so that the students can use it during class and we can use it multiple times. So that might be something that you're interested in is having kind of like a a one sheet paper that you can just have wherever you typically meditate and you can just print this out and just easily reference it to help you learn and practice these chants. So let's do this one. I'll do it first once and then we'll do it as a group three times. Okay. This phrase you actually do three times repeatedly. So to do this chant once, I would recite it three times. And it sounds like this. NAPMODHASA <laughs> BHAGAVATO
3: HARAHATO SAMMA SAMPUTASA NAPMODHASA BHAGAVATO arahato sammha samputasa, tasa nap bhagavato arahato sammha sampu sa.
1: here with this chant we don't typically bow with this one and the english translation here is respect to the perfectly enlightened one the worthy one the rightly self-awakened one so here we go again the word respect we see this over and over and over in this type of practice and on this path so it's really important to have respect for all people not just the buddha you know oftentimes people like to put the buddha up really high because of his teachings and the impact that he's had to the world and i understand why But i have a feeling if you talk to the buddha himself he probably would consider himself just equal with everybody else he's not going to put himself above other people he's going to look at himself as being equal with all beings and just being humble and practicing in that way because somebody with ego that's looking to put themselves above others is not going to have an enlightened mind so they're not going to be a buddha so While we have respect and gratitude and appreciation for him, I think if you talk to him personally, he probably would tell you that just treat him like a regular average person. I can't imagine a Buddha thinking that they would be higher or more important than anyone else because enlightened people don't think that way. So here, respect to the perfectly enlightened one, the worthy one, the self-awakened one. This is our chant. So we'll do this three times and this is respect to Gautama Buddha and again he didn't teach this it's something that was created after his death as a way to honor and respect him okay so bring your hands together at your sternum we'll say it three times and we'll do that three times so we're going to essentially do this nine times okay so hands at the sternum nice deep breath
3: Napmoid her sap hacko ato. Ada hato some ma sam Napmoid hato Nap mod hassa pako SAMMA Ada hato
7: That's
1: once.
3: Nap mod hassa pako SAMMA Ada hato Nap more, BHAGAVATO sap, hacko, ato. Harder, hotter, some ma, Nap more, her sap, hacko, That's twice. Nap mod hasa bhaka watto, arahato, somema, some Namo Bhagavato
1: Okay, that's our second chant, the NAPMODHASA. Would anybody like to practice this one with some personal guidance? All right, we've got James.
4: Namo Tassa Packel Arahato Samasam put a sa. Namot Arahato sama
3: Namo
1: Arahato Samputasā Good job, James. Same feedback here, that tempo, getting that tempo, that
3: Namo Thassa Pāgavattho arahato
1: sama samputasa. right really getting that tempo so let's do it together again and then i'll let you do it by yourself okay so here we go
3: Nap mod hassa paco ato, Ara hato, some ma, some potasa. Nap mod hassa paco ear there.
1: <laughs> You have to unmute yourself, James. I muted you halfway through. All right, so let's have you do, let's have you do it again. Okay, there you go. Good. Keep going.
4: Arahato sama samputasa namo tassa patko aho. Arahato sama sa.
1: Better, better. So here I'm going to do it with the little tap. So here we go,
3: namo tassa. Paga Arahato Ara hatto, some ma, some Arahato Nap mo, her sa, Arahato sama You hear that? So like, really start on the napo tasa pakawato
1: arahato. Yeah. yeah. So kind of think that in your mind as you're going through. You want to try it again? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay.
4: Namo Tassa bhagavad Arahato Sama Sambutassar Namo Tassa bhagavad Arahato Sama Sambutassar
1: Nice, very nice. Very good, much better, James. All right, I'm going to tell you guys a little joke. I haven't told you guys a joke before in the 10 months that I've been teaching. I haven't told a joke. So I'm going to tell you guys a joke. So, my wife's sister and her husband are also really into the Buddhist teachings as well. So their first daughter, they named Namun, which is the, the water that the monks will sprinkle around. It's not part of the Buddhist teachings, but they'll sprinkle it around. So they named her Namun. And they only ever planned to have one child. But then they had a Upsi, right? And they named him Namol. Right, because first in a Buddhist event, first the namun comes out, and then you go with the namo Tasa. <laughs> so my wife said, "Sister, if you're not careful, not only you're going to get namo, but you're going to get Tasa, pakawato arahato sama You're going to get the the whole chain. <laughs> so you and your husband better, might want to be careful. <laughs> be lucky, parents. Yeah. So. I think about that when uh, I chant this. Our sister's passed away now. She passed away three years ago, four years ago. But, you know, your sister's children are your son and daughter. They're truly our niece and nephew. But in Thai culture, we consider them our daughter and our son. So they were just here this weekend. So, Namo, whenever I see him, I'm like, okay, we got Namo, but we didn't get Tassa and Pakawato and Arahato. We didn't get all the rest. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so you want to try Max? Sure, I'll go for this one.
6: Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sammāsambuddhassa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sammāsambuddhassa. Good, Max.
1: James, do you see how that flows a bit more? I think you are holding back a little bit. You're kind of like, you know, kind of holding back just a little bit before you come through. So there, that was a little bit more flowing with Max. So just try to kind of even that out. And if we were all living together in the same temple, like you guys would go off and practice together in the forest. And, you know, at the foot of a tree, you guys would be helping each other to learn these chants, which would be part of the way that a community comes together to learn. So that's really good, Max. Good job. And James, I think you can learn a little bit from hearing that. And Max, I think you can learn a bit from James in the way that he's really projecting his sound and kind of drawing from the lungs and within and really projecting. I think you guys can really learn from each other there. All right. Anyone else would like to try this chant? Judith? Jacqueline? <laughs> I, th- I think they're just listening at this point. All right. All right, let's move to the third chant then. The third chant tends to be a little bit more challenging for most people, but if you've practiced the other two, then there's kind of some similar syllables here that kind of build. So if you wanted to build one by one, you might do the Namotasah for a week or two, get really good at that. Then do the Namotasah and the Arahang Sambutasah, get really good at that, and then start tackling the ETP-so if you wanted to kind of gradually move into it or if you want to just learn them all at one time you can do it that way too but this etp so is a bit more challenging i think so i'll do this one once and then we can do it together three times as a class so here's how it sounds
3: Hang sama samoto. We samono. Sakato kawito. A no purisa. All
1: right. So that's the ETB. So, and there, at the end, you kind of finish it off with a nice bow or gesture, and then that's where you would slip into meditation. And if you do these consistently and you build up your practice, it'll really help to ease the mind in the meditation. I imagine James and Max would probably have some comments about that, of what they observe before just meditating versus doing chanting with meditation that maybe we'll get them to share when they practice this one. So let's practice this as a class. Let's do this three times, all three phrases three times, okay? So bring your hands together, take a nice deep breath. Iti piso
3: mahakawa arakang sama samoto. We cha jaranang samono. Saka to dama sati once, it <laughs> Okay, that's second time īti PISO so Anu teropu sa dama sati manu manusanang Okay,
1: that's the ETP so in the translation here. Has a little bit more depth to the translation it means he is the perfectly enlightened one a worthy one a rightly self-awakened one consummate in knowledge this is like he's gone beyond like his knowledge and wisdom is so deep and so profound consummate in knowledge and conduct right this is his moral conduct the knowledge is the wisdom that he has in order to share the teachings of the Dhamma that lead to awakening. And his conduct is his moral conduct. So he's got this you know, profound wisdom and this profound moral conduct. One who has gone the good way, right? So he's walking towards the light. He's left the darkness and walking towards the light. He's the one who's gone the good way. Knower of the worlds This is the five realms, hell, afflicted spirit, animal, human, and heavenly realm. So what they're saying here is that he knows all of these worlds, all of these five realms of existence that he taught about. He knows about all of these worlds, all of these realms, right? Unexcelled trainer of those who can be taught. So what a Buddhist teacher is, is they're training your mind. And this is one of the reasons why it's important to have a personal relationship with a teacher, someone that you seek guidance from, someone who you trust, someone that you can confide in, someone that you can share, some of the deepest, darkest secrets that you have, and know that that teacher has a strict moral and ethical conduct, that they're not going to be sharing that with anyone else. By having that teacher, they are essentially providing you training for those who can be taught or another way to say this is those who choose to be taught a buddhist teacher and a buddha in this example isn't going to go out and try to attempt to force people to learn and practice the teachings they're not going to go out on the street and hit a drum bang a tambourine and you know try to fear people into learning and practicing their teachings. They've already attained enlightenment. They don't have this strong longing and eagerness, this pushing forward, this eagerness to push everybody and control everything. They're essentially already have liberated their mind and they're available for anyone who chooses to be taught. So if someone chooses to be taught, then a Buddha, a perfectly enlightened one, is going to be an unexcelled trainer of those who choose to be taught. Or here the translation is those who can be taught. The only people who can be taught are those who choose to be taught. You can't force somebody to attain enlightenment. So the only person who can be taught is someone who chooses to be taught. So don't feel that as you learn these teachings, you need to force your mom or your dad or your partner or your children or your friends or your colleagues to learn and practice these teachings. If people are interested and you have the means to share the teachings, maybe share this book or share the Facebook group, share the podcast or videos, then share it with them. But if somebody's not interested, there's no obligation on your shoulders to push this and force people to practice these teachings. It's up to them. And the next part of this is teacher of humans and divine beings so of course the buddha was a teacher of humans but there's also stories of him during meditation and also just in his everyday life that divine beings heavenly beings that's what this is referring to is heavenly beings would come to him and ask for guidance and teaching i was just reading some of the dhamma today where there was a time where he was actually at a particular location and a heavenly being came and kind of lit up the whole area that he was in and asked for guidance and sought teaching from him so that's what it's saying here is teacher of human and divine beings because beings in the hell realm afflicted spirits realm and animal realm they're not able to actually attain enlightenment it's only beings in the human and heavenly realms that are able to attain enlightenment. So a Buddhist teachings would be able to help those beings to attain enlightenment, while the beings in the lower realms need to produce enough good wholesome karma to make their way up into the upper realm so that they can actually have the chance to attain enlightenment. And we've all been there. So even though we're human now, we've all been these other beings in hell, afflicted spirits in the animal realm. And some of us may have even been at the heavenly realm at some point, and we've now still not attained enlightenment. So that's why you're in the human realm, is this is your chance to truly learn and cultivate the mind, train the mind, so that you can escape this whole cycle of rebirth, attaining this enlightened mind where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. And then the last part of this phrase is awakened and perfectly enlightened one. So this whole phrase is unexcelled trainer of those who can be taught, teacher of human and divine beings, awakened and perfectly enlightened. Okay, just very clear and concise of who this individual is that we refer to as Gautama Buddha. All right, so who would like to get some personal guidance here? James and Max? Max? Okay, James. I'll let you go first, then, James.
4: I'm a bit less experienced for this one, but I'll get a shot. It's a piece of Pacoa. Arahang sama sambuto. We chacharan sambuto. Sakato. We too. Anu tero purisa damo sati satada dawa
7: manusanang
1: the tempo was wonderful, James. Really nice tempo. Uh, I think you caught yourself that one word, right? It's dama instead of damo. In the first chant, it's damo. Here, it's dama. But your tempo is really nice there. I can see you're probably working with the memorization of this one. Probably don't have it quite as memorized as the others, where you feel more comfortable really projecting with the other ones. Where this one, I think once you get it memorized, you'll feel more comfortable projecting with it.
5: Yeah, I kind of learned this second one first a lot, and then I worked, started working with the first one, and now I'm kind of uh, starting on this
1: one uh, more. So. The tempo is wonderful, though. You've got the the pacing uh, you know, that we talked about in the first two chants. You got that really down well in this one, so that's wonderful. I'm wondering, do you have any comments about what you noticed? Like, Were you meditating previously with no chance and then you started chanting and meditating. Did you notice anything different with that?
5: Yes, I have noticed. Um, it's a lot like the, like um, you described, um, I tend to have a, an active mind. So if I go into meditation without, um, chanting and it's not always like, um, verbal chanting because of my living arrangements and being in an apartment and, you know, I'm not always wanting to chant late, but if I just get through it, in my mind, it, it can kind of, um, ease my mind a bit and, um, just clear my mind a bit and, really um, prime me for um, having a um, quieter mind going into meditation. So um, that's a major benefit I've noticed.
1: That's a good point, James. There were times where I wasn't able to verbally say these chants, but because I had to memorized. For example, when I would be on 24-hour flights from America to Thailand and back, I would oftentimes be meditating on the plane and I would chant this in my mind and just kind of go through it in in the mind. So that's one of the ways that you can use this if you can't do it audibly. Once you learn this and it's really ingrained in the mind, you can actually use it quietly in the mind to kind of ease in the meditation as well, even when you're in an environment where you can't chant. Like when I was on a plane, I wasn't able to chant out loud. So you can use that and it will help you. Thanks for bringing that up. All right, so it's good that you're getting more benefit out of your meditation with this. All
6: yeah, right. Definitely.
1: All right, Max, you're up.
6: Nice one, James. Okay. Okay. Iti piso hu ambhaka wa ara hang samma naim Saka to rohukawitu Anuhu te lo puri sa Dhamma sati sata tawah Manuhu sanang
1: Puhu Nice, Max. I could tell that first phrase you were holding back a little bit but i think the last two you kind of let it go a little bit and you kind of sunk more into it and just kind of became more comfortable with it so mm. nice very nice very good gentlemen. yeah yeah very good gentlemen. do you have any thoughts max of anything you noticed did it help you with your meditation practice at all
2: yeah so for a long time i wasn't chanting of course because i was meditating for a while before i even encountered you and then it was sometime more before I even learnt the chant, so uh, I've had that experience of not chanting and now and even now sometimes I don't always chant if it's uh, really early in the morning for example I, I will say it under my breath or I'll just whisper it rather than do it out loud and sometimes I actually meditate on the beach here because I'm not too far from the sea and sometimes I still chant on the beach yeah, it's a good way to overcome shyness as well and, just completely let go of any self-consciousness whatsoever. But still, sometimes I don't, and I've had good meditations in both cases. I've had good meditations in that setting where I choose not to chant. But if I'm just going about my day, and I've got things on my mind, things I'm doing, I do find that chanting provides that bridge between daily life and getting into meditation. And it seems to kind of push the other stuff out of the way. It just sort of acts as this reset almost on the mind Mm. before going into a deeper meditation and so it's like think of an analogy it's like sweeping the floor before you mop it you know just get that stuff out of the way and then actually do the cleaning that's a good (laughs) analogy
1: yeah yeah i agree with that that's that's a great analogy max so yeah see you guys have applied some dedication and commitment you've gradually applied effort to learning this and now you're building up a nice practice for yourself that's not only benefiting you but i know both of you guys are interested in teaching someday so it's going to benefit your your students as well and you know should you guys ever decide to have kids and you pass this down to your kids it's going to benefit them so This is how you can see that by focusing on your own practice, you actually benefit lots of other people. Oftentimes we get taught that we need to go around and help everyone else before we can help ourselves. But how could we help everyone else if we haven't helped ourselves yet? Right? Like how could we teach other people to drive a car if we've never driven a car before? We have to first learn how to drive the car. So learning these chants and learning meditation and learning this eightfold path and Awakening your mind is, of course, it's greatly helping and improving your life, but whether it's your significant others or your children or your siblings or your parents or friends or family or ultimately your students, you'll be able to help so many more people in the world by first focusing on your own practice and by you eliminating the harm you're causing in the world, you'll be able to benefit so many countless people. So congratulations, gentlemen, you're moving in the right direction. So nice to see that. Thank you, David. Yeah, you're welcome. Are there any questions from YouTube or Facebook or Zoom about the chanting, how we use it, what the benefits are, how to do it, how to potentially integrate it into your practice or anything like that? It appears
2: We have no questions at the moment.
1: Okay. If that's the case, let's go out today with a last chant, all of us kind of chanting together and doing a a one last kind of once through of these chants. So starting from the top, we'll just do these chants together. And then at the end, I'll just say now I'll say goodbye that on our next class, which is Saturday, we're going to be doing meditation. So Saturday at 9 p.m. Thai time, whichever time that is where you are, we're devoting that session strictly to meditation. So it's going to be, hello, welcome. Glad you're here. and We're going to go right into meditation. And then if there's any questions afterwards, we can talk afterwards. Then on Sunday, we're going to be talking about craving is the problem. What is the solution? And that's chapter 16 in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And then next Wednesday, we'll be doing breathing mindfulness meditation specifically there with questions. So we've got a couple of meditation sessions coming up here. So I'll say to you guys, have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy everything about today. Treat everybody wonderfully with lots of politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respect. And let's enjoy this last chant together and just kind of go through and go out with Achieve. So starting at the top, Ara Hang
3: Sama Samoto Makawa Hotang Makawa Sawaka to Marga Wata Damang Namasa Me So Patipano Sawaka Nap more Arahato ārāhāto sammā saṃbhūtāśā. Ārāhāto sammā saṃbhūtāśā. Ārāhāto sammā saṃbhūtāśā. ITI PISO MAHA GAWA ARAKHANG SAMA SAMUTO VIJHA JARANANG SAMUNO SAGHA TO rogawito. Anutero Purasa Taati Manuasanang Po
1: Thank you all for joining. We'll see you in a future class be well enjoy your chanting and enjoy your meditation thank you for coming bye-bye
0: thank you for listening to this podcast to provide support for this podcast visit patreon.com forward slash support buddha to access more teachings visit buddadailywisdom.com. there you will discover a full range of courses retreats and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment